All right, well, we are in our Advent series. Advent is the four weeks leading up to uh, Christmas. We, you know, we celebrate the arrival of God uh, in flesh, Jesus Christ, long awaited Messiah. These prophecies for all these years were told about him, and he came. He really did come. And we celebrate that, and we reflect on that, and we also look forward to when he comes again. And we, um, we need these moments in our calendar, whether it's uh, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter, the Advent season. We need them because we forget about the goodness of God. We forget about who he is. We forget that he saved us. We forget, just we get busy. Um, on Wednesday, yep, no, Thursday, December 2nd, was the three-year anniversary of us becoming a family with our little girls. So we have two daughters who are, uh, we adopted them last year, praise the Lord, and December 2nd, 2018, we all became a family. Now, we have, they're three and four, so most of our days are just spent, like, trying to survive. And we, because of that, you forget about the goodness of these babies and life and all these things. But when December 2nd came, I woke up and I just remembered about, you know, 1030 in the morning, that Sunday morning, we went and picked up these two kids, and all of a sudden we're instant parents, and the sweetness of, man, how hard that was, and now, like, this is the first anniversary of them being adopted, and how that certainty now, and that, like, assurance of we're a family and it helped me to, like, soak up the goodness of that day. And so that's, that's a, a, just a real practical example of why we do Advent, why we do Easter, because it helps us to pause and remember that God really does love you so much that he sent his son, that God himself was a baby, which is crazy to me, and uh, it doesn't make sense, and yet it's true. And so we rejoice in that. So we celebrate that this next four weeks, or these next two weeks. Last week, uh, we're walking through peace on earth. So last week, John started the series. He talked about having peace with God. And a big part of that was how if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, your position will never, ever, ever change. You are in Jesus' hand. Nothing can snatch you from him. You are always his. He is your beloved father. You are his beloved child. But because of sin, our fellowship with God can be hindered. So if we have unrepentance, uh, unrepentant sin, we're holding on to things that are sinful, that can uh, get in the way, it can disrupt our fellowship with him. And he can feel really far away, and yet it's typically, it's always us who are um, the ones trying to run. He's always near. And so today we're going to talk about having peace with others. Next week we'll talk about having peace with self and then peace with uh, creation. Now, we uh, thankfully, it was uh, really fun. This last few days, we were in California. We took our girls to Disneyland, uh, partially to celebrate having, uh, being a family for three years, and it was open again, and um, I've been asking them to take me for a long time, but they're like, okay, we can't, Daddy. It's not open. I'm like, it is open, and you're still not taking me, and then they're coincidentally having the same conversation with me. So we took them to Disneyland which is, they say, the happiest place on the earth, right? It's the happiest place on earth. Combined with the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's already magical, and you walk in, and they have like a 70-foot Christmas tree when you walk in to Main Street, and it's already so magical when you walk in, and yet they cover it with decorations, and I like love decorations (laughs) a lot. So it was super magical, and it's pretty full capacity at this point, so there's a lot of people. And if you've been to Disneyland or the mall, uh, you know what it's like right now, right? It's the 
the Disneyland was the happiest place on earth during the most wonderful time of the year, and yet I felt like I needed to be fighting for a rebound at all times, you know? Like throw some elbows. Even though it's this magical place in this wonderful time, man, there wasn't a ton of peace. <laughs> Whether it's the kids melting down, which you kind of just look to the other parents and it's like the Hunger Games, like we can do this, you know? <laughs> or spouses arguing, because everybody's just frazzled. Or strangers fighting. Uh, there are plenty of examples in this most magical place on earth during the most wonderful time of the year of, man, tons of conflict. Tons of conflict, not a ton of peace, and, uh, and that's just how it is, right? We're all busy, busy, busy in general, and now we're really busy, and everybody is losing their minds right now. Like I was shopping last week, and I almost got hit by a car twice, not in my truck, just walking, right? <laughs> because people are, it's, we're all just busy, busy, busy. And so even though it's this magical time, and as Christians, even though we're saved and we have this peace from God, Man, in the flesh, we so often are running the opposite way. And so today we're going to walk through what does Jesus say about peace? What does it mean to have peace with others? Uh, and how do we live that out with his help? So last week, John talked about the, the goal, this peace that God talks about, this shalom in Hebrew is not just a peace of mind or maybe a mental rest, but it's this whole Hearted, full restoration, a, an idea of everything being made right. Everything being made right. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18. What better place to go to find out about peace than Jesus himself? When he was born... The shepherds were told, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among, whom, among those with whom he's well pleased. And in Micah 5, which happened hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming, talking about Jesus, prophesying him, it says about Jesus that he shall be their peace, that his people, to his people, he will be their peace. And so let's hear what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 18 starting in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Peter, one of the disciples, most of you are familiar with him. He's usually the one who uh, speaks before he thinks which is helpful for us because we're often the same way with God. He asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, how often do I need to, like how far do I need to go when it comes to forgiving my brother who sinned against me? Seven times, which seems like a lot. And Jesus responds back and says, not seven times, but 77 times, or it could translate seven times 70, which is 490. I'm not good at math, but I can do that. Leon Morris, a scholar, says this about this, this quick interaction. He says, for Peter's seven times, Jesus substitutes 77 times, or 70 times seven. Either way, a lot of forgiving is meant. This, of course, is not counseling an essay in arithmetic so that the 78th offense need not be forgiven. It is a, very, is a way of saying that for Jesus, Jesus' followers, forgiveness is to be unlimited. 
For then forgiveness, for them, forgiveness is a way of life. For them, Jesus' followers, forgiveness is a way of life. Bearing in mind what they have been forgiven, they cannot withhold forgiveness from any who sin against them. So Peter asks, how often do I need to forgive? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Seven's not enough. Needs to be as many as is needed. Now Jesus knows that stories, he created us, so he knows that stories resonate so much more than a quick lesson like that. And he goes on to tell a story. In verse 23, it says this, Jesus says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. The quote we just read says that forgiveness for Christians is a way of life, that because of what Jesus has forgiven us, we cannot withhold forgiveness from those who have sinned against us. And Jesus here says that, gives this example, this story of this king, this ruler who has all these people who owe him. And one day he says, I'm going I'm to get paid. I'm going to call all these debts to account. And they bring this man who owes him um, a ton of money says 10,000 talents. A talent was about 20 years worth of salary for a common worker. And he has 10,000 of those. That's 200,000 years of money owed, well into the, <laughs> the multi-millions. And he says, you need to pay me. And he says, I can't. And so the custom at that time, there wasn't bankruptcy or these kinds of things, and he didn't have the money. So he sold him and his family into slavery. Now, we Americans have um, we have our, our understanding of slavery is through colonialism, but at that point it was debt slavery where you work really, really hard and your family and your kids work really hard because you don't have money, so you work to pay off your debt. And he pleads with this master who he owes this insurmountable debt he can never pay off. He says, please forgive the debt, forgive me, have mercy on me. And the master, this king, does. He says it's all wiped clean. 200,000 years worth of money. <laughs> he could never, ever, ever pay it back. And he pleads with him, and the king has mercy on him. And that man, it says, then goes to somebody who owes him 100 denarii, which is a day's wage, 100 days worth of money versus 200,000 years <laughs> worth of money. And he says, pay up. You owe me money, 100 days worth of money. 
And he says, I don't have it, please. He says the same thing that this man said to the king. Please have mercy on me, forgive me. And he chokes him and he demands payment. He doesn't forgive him and he has him thrown in prison so that the debt could be paid. Now we hear that and we're like, this is preposterous. What a hypocrite. How could he do something like that? You were just granted this amazing gift and now you're going to go demand this small amount of money from this other person? And when they can't pay, you don't forgive them, you punish them. And it says God will do that same thing to those of his who don't forgive. My wife, uh, a few months ago, had surgery. It was an elective surgery. It was supposed to be an outpatient surgery. And it ended up being a six-day hospital stay with some ICU follow-up surgery. And now she's doing really well now. Thank the Lord. Thank you guys for praying. Uh, but a long recovery. And with those surgeries and hospital stays, most of you know, comes really big bills. And so we started about a, a month after the surgery, we started getting all these bills in the mail from, you know, it's like you don't just pay, it's not like you don't just pay the one bill, right? It's like you have the anesthesiologist and the assistant and the CT scan, and they're all just really expensive. And so we'd, we'd paid the surgeon, her surgeon, up front for the costs, all his stuff. But because they had to do this second emergency surgery, well, we have to pay for that too. So we get that bill, and this is after we've already gotten a bunch of other bills that are equaling like a lot of money. And my wife calls just to see, hey, can we get on a payment plan or something? Like, can we throw 150 bucks your way and, uh, and get this paid off, you know, in the next 70 years? So... Her surgeon, thankfully, is an amazing surgeon and an amazing man. And so she called to inquire, hey, can we get on a payment plan to figure this out? And they said, yeah, you can definitely do a payment plan. But at a minimum, it's going to be $2,000 a month. We'd really prefer you pay $4,000 a month. So I'm like, that's cool. Uh, if we had that money, like, that's still a lot of money to pay, right? So my wife's like, okay, can you... Can you just see if we can do less or, you know, can we stretch it out? How, just trying to make it work, right? And uh, I don't do this so you guys can start a GoFundMe, so please don't do that. <laughs> well, the biller person, the admin in the office went and said, hey, yeah, let me go talk to the doctor real quick. So she goes and talks to the doctor, comes back on the phone, and she said, hey, I talked to uh, the doctor, and he said, uh, it's completely forgiven. You guys weren't supposed to have the second surgery. He said, you've been through enough, so it's just zeroed out. Uh, yeah, so I'm at work, Amanda calls, and she's just bawling, right? Like, this is incredible. It was over $20,000 that we were going to have to pay over this course of time that we would have been able to pay, but it's like a lot of money on top of even more money. And we just felt in that moment this massive grace from this man who I don't even think knows the Lord, who just said, no. You've been through enough. We were never supposed to have that second surgery. It's wiped clean. And we were just in awe. We were praising Jesus. We were telling all our friends, and they were praising Jesus with us. And it was such a tangible answer to prayer. What I didn't do in that moment was go to Troy Kinney's house and say, Troy, you owe me five bucks. Pay up, right? Ready to fight. Now, he doesn't owe me five bucks. But imagine how preposterous that would be if my next move after my wife calling me and telling me this amazing news would be like, 
now we need to make all our other debts clean, right? So-and-so owes me two bucks from high school. It's time to find them and get the money back, <laughs> right? Which we laugh at, but that's what this man in this parable did. He's forgiven this insane debt, this debt he could literally never pay back. And yet, in the wake of being forgiven it, in his freedom, right, because he should have been sold into slavery, in his freedom, he goes and then demands this really small payment and doesn't have any mercy. Jesus says that that's how we are. We sing a song called His Mercies Are More. It says we stood beneath a debt we could never afford. But what riches of kindness he's lavished on us, his blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We say our sins are many, his mercy is more. We say praise the Lord. The debt that we owe with our sin to a holy and righteous God is something we could never pay back. We could never pay it back. And yet God, this season we celebrate, we remember that God has come in the flesh, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to live a perfect, sinless life so that the end goal would be that he would be killed and all the wrath of God would be poured out on him. All the wrath that was due you and me, the payment that was due you and me for the debt that we owe him wasn't poured out on us, it was poured out on Jesus. And we are completely forgiven, and not only completely forgiven, but given all of his riches. So it'd be like as if that doctor forgave us that debt and then said, I'm actually going to write you a check for even more than you would have owed me. Imagine that. Where have you been forgiven? Think about that. And I gave that story of that medical bill that just was a few months old. Man, think about a time in your life where you've experienced, obviously from Jesus, but from a friend or a neighbor or somebody you've wronged. Where have you been? When have you been forgiven? How has that grace felt? And then I'll ask, where have you been harboring unforgiveness towards others? Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, in God, as God in Christ forgave you. Because, Christian, you have been forgiven greatly, you can freely forgive others. You have wronged God in so many ways just today. You could never pay it back, and yet God has freely forgiven you through the cross. It cost him everything, and yet it costs you pretty much nothing. And so because you've been freely forgiven, you can freely forgive others. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching these people about what the kingdom of God actually looks like. And he's taking what the law says... God's law to his people, and he's showing what in the new covenant with me, here's what it looks like. And in talking about forgiveness, he says this, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. He's saying, when you're at church, worshiping me, sacrificing, and remember that not that you have something against somebody else, but that somebody else has something against you. You need to leave it there and go and make it right. Seek to make it right with them. And once you've done that, then come back and worship. We're all still sitting here. 
right? We should probably be going elsewhere. It's always blowing me away that he says, and when you remember that somebody has something against you, go. He always takes it so much further than what we would assume. Jesus has forgiven us, those of you who are Christians. And so you can forgive others in a radical way. Now, there are a ton of questions and places this can go with forgiveness. Because some of you, some of us have been wronged really deeply and really repeatedly. So we can talk more about what forgiveness looks like. Um, And we have resources to provide if you'd like them. But it doesn't mean you have to go like, be best friends with this person that's been horrible to you. But there is a forgiveness there that God has called us to with his help. Because you've been forgiven, you can freely forgive others. And forgiveness displays Jesus to the world. In Hebrews, it says this. It says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I don't think it's a coincidence they talk about a bitterness that springs up when it's talking about forgiveness. I know for me personally, I can tell when I'm not forgiving someone. God taught me this last night, just so you know, Holy Spirit, just doing some sermon prep. I was like, ugh. I've learned recently when a big indicator of me not forgiving someone is because I just feel really bitter towards them, and it's really sneaky, and I'm selfish, and I feel like I'm the victim, and I'm really bitter, and yet I'm the one who's not forgiving. And it says that when we aren't striving for peace with everyone, that when we're being bitter instead of forgiving, people don't see the goodness of God. Forgiveness shows the world who Jesus is. We can forgive because God has forgiven us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. It'll be on the screen, but Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 9. I think there's a good question to ask when it comes to forgiveness, and that's, uh, what does this look like practically? That's great that I need to strive for peace with everyone. It's great that Um, I need to seek to forgive even uh, those who maybe have something against me that I need to seek to reconcile. But man, what does it look like more practically? Romans 12 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Romans 1 through 11, Paul gives this massive theology. And then in Romans 12, he's like, here's how it applies to your life. In verse 9, we're going to read a good chunk of it. He says this, hear all these commands. He says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Listen to this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Outdo one another in honor. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean, because of the brokenness of the world, forgiveness does not necessarily mean that when you seek, when you forgive someone, which is often a repeated thing with the Lord, as we think about the harm that's been done to us, the sin that's been done against us, when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that they're going to come to you and say, thank you, wow, I'm sorry. We're best friends now forever. Oftentimes, forgiveness is you and Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, constantly you're leaning into Him for His sufficiency, for His defense, for His advocacy, his healing and restoration. And that earthly relationship may never be restored. But your fellowship of God won't be broken either. Because when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, when we harbor bitterness, when we walk with our own interests in mind instead of the interests in others, what that does is it ruins, it disrupts our fellowship with God. Though we're in him always, that relationship is disrupted. Forgiveness is really, really hard. And yet, we have been forgiven way more than we'll ever have to forgive anyone. Forgiveness is also not fun, and it's also not satisfying. I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul here talks about don't avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. He says that vengeance is his. He'll repay. And I think about, man, my biggest vengeance against somebody for doing a horrible thing, like it's pretty, it would be pretty good. And it would feel really good in the moment and then horrible for the rest of the time. And yet we have the God of the universe who says, I am your defender. I have forgiven you. You don't think I'm capable of giving that person what they're due? calls us to trust in him and the love that he has for us and the forgiveness that he's poured out in us as we seek to forgive others. Let's try to trust him in that. And in forgiveness, we have peace. Others have peace. And we can live as he's created us to live. Let's pray. Lord, this is a really not fun topic because every single person in this room has been brought to mind hurt that they've experienced, that they need, that you're calling them with your help and your love and your grace to forgive those people, that person, whether it was a one-time thing or it's happened over the years or it's continuing to happen. It's really hard because we'd rather just suppress it and move forward and pretend that we're good. And, and many of us, or maybe all of us, are being reminded of 
all the instances that we need to seek forgiveness. And it's really hard to forgive, and it's really hard to ask for forgiveness and accept it. And yet, you in love pursued us while we were dead in our sins, while we were rebelling against you, chasing after things that are opposite of you, you pursued us in love, richly forgave us. And you now are calling us and giving us everything we need to walk in you and forgive others. Because we will be sinned against until we meet you. And forgiveness will continue to need to happen. And so we need your help, Lord. We really need your help. We ask all these things, Lord, in your powerful name.